Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are engaging uh, at the end, of course, of our Torah reading cycle because we are approaching Simchat uh, Torah, where we end Torah and begin again. So what's interesting is we we don't read the last Torah portion for Shabbat, on Shabbat. So we never get in our Torah study to Vizot Tabracha, which is the final Torah portion, because that's read on the holiday of Simchat Torah, which outside the land of Israel is always on a weekday. So we never read together the last Parsha. We always finish with Ha'azinu. Um, but what's also interesting is Ha'azinu and Vizot Bracha, both of these endings of the Torah, don't happen before Rosh Hashanah. So we end a year, but don't end the Torah before the end of the year, right? So I went on Hebcal you know, which is where you all can find what the Torah reading is, whether it's triennial or full Kriya. And so I went to Hebcal looking for today's, you know, Kriya, because, you know, I read on the triennial. And so it was like, uh, 2022 was gone, right? 2023 is there. And I'm like, hmm, right? And it's, oh, right. So a new year has begun. So reset, except we ain't done. Right, so it's very Jewish to me that we had the end, this big, huge end of the year. We begin Rosh Hashanah. We do the incredible work of Aseret Yemei Tshuva, the ten days of repentance. We do this whole amazing na 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 Yom Kippur intensity, intensity, intensity. Okay, we start anew, except not really, <laughs> except not exactly. It's very Jewish. It's very Jewish um, that we, we're not exactly done. We're sort of done. It's sort of a new year. We're sort of starting fresh, but we're really not finished yet. So then we'll finish. Then we'll do sukkah, right? So we, yeah, we have a big dessert. Okay. So, um, so that's where we are. We're in this kind of beginning, ending, ending, beginning mushiness that is a wonderful expression of holding the both and, which our tradition is very good at. So we, if you recall the end of last week's Torah portion, it's this huge setup to these words, these words, these words, this poem, this poem, this poem, and then boom, the parse is done, <laughs> right? So, um, so the whole buildup from last week was to these words, the words of this shear, the words of this poem, the word, the, the word for poem and the word for song are the same word in Hebrew. Shear means both Poem and song. Um, and so lots of people want to argue about, you know, was it musical? Was it not? Like, it, the, you know, it, poetry and song are not different in Hebrew, which I find wonderful, right? Because <laughs> really songs are poetry unless they don't have words, right? A song with words is really about the poetry that you're, the, the writer is is communicating as well as the music. Okay. So we are going to look at that poem. Uh, so Elena, get ready. We're going to look at that poem and then we are going to talk a little. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit because we started it last week uh, and we just didn't go there. So I'm going to go there this week. We're going to talk a little bit about Moshe, David Russo. Um, we're going to talk about Moshe uh, and his response to knowing that he is being called to sleep with his ancestors, which is a euphemism for what? Dead now. Okay. So, uh, Elena Allen, are you ready? Can you see on the screen, I hope? Yes? I can see and I can hear. Oh, wonderful. It's a good life. Okay. <laughs> Why don't you start for us the, the English, please? Give ear, O heavens. Let me speak. Let the earth hear the words I utter. May my discourse come down as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like showers on young growth, like droplets on the grass. For the name of Adonai, I proclaim, give glory to our God, the rock whose deeds are perfect. Yea, all God's ways are just. A faithful God never falls, 
true and upright indeed. Unworthy children, that crooked, perverse generation, their baseness has played God false. Do you thus requite Adonai, O dull and witless people? Is it not this the Father who created you, fashioned you, and made you endure? Remember the days of old, consider the years of ages past, ask your parent who will inform you, your elders who will tell you. When the Most High gave nations their homes and set the divisions of humanity, God fixed the boundaries of people in relation to Israel's numbers. For Adonai's portion is this people, Jacob, God's own allotment. God found them in a desert region, in an empty howling waste. God engirded them, watched over them, guarded them as the pupil of God's eye. Like an eagle who rouses its nestlings gliding down to its young, so did God spread wings and take them, bear them along on pinions. Adonai alone did guide them, no alien God alongside. God set them atop the highlands to feast on the yield of the earth, nursing them with honey from the crag and oil from the flinty rock. Curd of kine and milk of flocks with the best of lambs and rams of Bashan and he goats with the very finest wheat and foaming grape blood was your drink. So Jerusalem, so Jerusalem grew fat and kicked. You grew fat and gross and coarse. They forsook the God who made them and spurned the rock of their support. They increased, incensed God with alien things, vexed God with abominations. They sacrificed to demons, no gods, gods they had never known, no new ones who came but lately, who stirred not your forebearers' fears. You neglected the rock who begot you, forgot the God who labored to bring you forth. Adonai saw and was vexed and spurned these sons and daughters. God said, I will hide my countenance from them and see how they fare in the end. For they are a treacherous breed, children with no loyalty in them. They incensed me with no gods, vexed me with their futilities. I'll I'll incense them with a no folk, vex them with a nation of fools. For a fire has flared in my wrath and burned to the bottom of Sheol, has consumed the earth and its increase, eaten down to the base of the milk. I will sweep misfortunes on them, use up my arrows on them. Wasting famine, ravaging plague, deadly pestilence and fanged beasts will I let loose against them with venomous creepers in dust. The sword shall deal death without as shall the terror within, and youth and maiden alike, the sucklings as well as the aged. I may have reduced them to naught, made their memory cease among humankind. But for fear of the taunts of the foe, their enemies who might misjudge and say, oh, our own hand has prevailed. None of this was wrought by Adonai, for they are a folk Void of sense, lacking in all dis- discernment. Where they were, they wise. They would think upon this, gain insight into their future. How could one have routed a thousand or two, put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock had sold them? Adonai had given them up, for their rock is not like our rock in our enemy's own estimation, and the vine for them is from Sodom. From the vineyards of Gomorrah, the grapes for them are poison and bitter growth their clusters. Their wine is the venom of asps, the pitiless poisonous creepers. Lo, I have put all away, sealed up in my storehouses. To be my vengeance and recompense at the time that their foot falters, yea, their day of disaster is near and destiny rushes upon them. For Adonai will vindicate God's people and take revenge for God's servants upon seeing their might is gone and neither bond nor free is left. God will say, where are their gods, the rock in whom they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their offerings and drank their libation wine? 
Let them rise up to your help and let them be a shield unto you. See then that I, I am the one. There is no God beside me. I deal death and give life. I wounded and I will heal. None can deliver me from my hand. Lo, I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, when I wet my flashing blade and my hand lays hold on judgment, vengeance will wreak on my foes. Will I deal to those who reject me? I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword devours flesh. Blood of the slain and the captive from the long-haired enemy chiefs. Oh, nations, acclaim God's people, for he'll avenge the blood of his servants, wreak vengeance on his foes, and cleanse his people's land. Moses came together with Hosea, son of Nun, and decided all the words of this poem in the hearing of the people. And when Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words which I have warned you this day and join them upon your children that they may observe faithfully all the terms of this teaching. For this is not a trifling thing for you. It is your very life. Through it, you shall long endure on the land that you are to possess upon crossing the Jordan. That very day, Adonai spoke to Moses. Ascend those heights of Abarim to Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab facing Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving the Israelites as their holding. You shall die on the mountain that you are about to ascend, and shall be gathered to your kin as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his kin. For you both broke faith with me among the Israelite people at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin by failing to uphold my sanctity among the Israelite people. You may view the land from a distance, but you shall not enter it. The land that I'm giving to the Israelite people. All right. Thank you so much. Yashukach, Elena. Wow. Yashukach. What a poem. Bringing the words of Torah to life. Truly, truly bringing the words of Torah to life. Thank you so much. We laughed over here because it was like, oh my gosh, it's so dramatic. Like we, it it seems, I know, it seems really dry often when, when we read it, but when Elena reads it, it's like, whoa, like, it it forces you to bring out the drama. It's so compelling. Says, says someone who knows how to do that. Um, okay, so one one question I have is, this is Moshe knowing he's about to, he knows he's not crossing over, he knows he's not going to make it, he knows he's about to die, and these are the words he shares with his people. So if we take a minute to think about if, and Yom Kippur is all about this, right? We just talked about this at the holidays. Yom Kippur is all about rehearsing our own death. So if we were actually dying and we were speaking to our children, to our grandchildren, to our students, you know, to people who have loved us and, and who have been part of, um, what we've given ourselves to, is this what you would say to them? Hell no, says Jody. (laughs) Nor would they say that to us. Who's they? Our elders? So, Linda, you're saying the people gathered around as we were dying would not say these words to us? Well, we're dying, no. so we won't have the opportunity no, to screw somebody up. somebody is saying to us that they were dying and so forth and brings these words, we might have some words to say back. Ah, so if these words were said to us by someone dying, we might have something to say back. Okay, so what's going on here? This is Moshe's farewell to the people. You think Moshe is very angry. Very angry, and he can't control himself. And so he's just spewing out angry language. You little blah, 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 blah. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Because I think he's really upset with himself that he cannot go. Well, upset with Adonai that he cannot go. So interesting, you say he's upset with God that he can't go in, and yet, this is Tzidduk Hadin. These are, this is the language that we get for Jewish funerals, by the way. Tzidduk Hadin, the rock whose ways are always just. 
could we say this at what we don't say it but traditionally this is said at a jewish funeral at the grave see dukadin the 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 tsur our rock his ways are always just as we're putting someone we love in the ground it, so is Moshe angry at God? Is Moshe angry at himself? Is Moshe, Elena, you want to say something? Well, I just, this, this always bothers me, this passage, because Moses is a very old man. And why are they blaming his death on something he did wrong? Why can't he just die because he's an old man? So are you asking a question that Moshe's asking or are I'm we just, asking? I just don't understand why it's set up in the way that God is. He has to die because God is punishing him for something bad. He's so do you remember? Remember, we read that already in the book of, of Numbers. I think it was. I forget. Right. There's two. Right. So, so, but th- we read it there that, that God says to Moshe, because of this, y'all are going to die in the desert. It's a failure of your leadership. But Moses is 120 something years old. Yeah, but the but the decree happened a long time ago. Now the payment comes due. Okay. okay. So that's what this is. Thank you, Elena, for lifting that up. This is this is the moment God says, uh, "Remember when we had a little conversation? Yes. About what happened with the rock? Remember that? Well, now the bill comes due. So have many year? How many? T- much time has passed since that? A lot. Okay. A lot. 40 years. Because remember, the decree is all y'all, all y'all who have been part of this, all y'all will die in the desert because of this. Okay. Thank you. Or it's around there that they get told they're going to die in the desert. Moshe and Aaron get told, right? So um, because of their failure of leadership, blah, blah, blah. So so it's been like 40 years. They've raised up a whole nother generation. Anyone who was 20 years old or over died on that schlep and now it's a new generation that they have raised up that he's talking to so he's talking to the new generation for joshua and in, uh, except for joshua and caleb right the two exceptions okay so this is moshe's final words okay. y'all are gonna screw the whole thing up god is gonna be super upset about it and god is gonna punish you brutally because if you mess with the greatest power in the universe right guess what's going to happen right really really terrible things um but but in the end god is going to take you back and in the end god is going to wreak vengeance on all your enemies who came to do terrible things to you even though god decreed that's what was going to happen god's going to take you back this is written by people who have experienced decimation this is written by people who have to explain how it could be that god's temple god's people god's land could possibly be defeated they have they have to deal with that so this is the theology we've talked about this a lot that our theology is not torah theology where's george don't tell me george is not here for this i don't see him oh yay okay so right george so this is this is the this is the theology of biblical Israel. We don't have to have that theology in order to confront the text, right? And confront like our reactions to it. We can enter the story. We can enter Moshe's last, you know, last experience. I think for me this year, someone asked me last week, "How you doing, Rabbi?" About Moshe, because um, you know I go through this every year. So. Um, this year, I feel kind of sad for Moshe that he has to say this to the people. I, I feel kind of bad for him that it's like he that that he that this is how after all he's done and raising up a new generation and he's got to tell the new generation, I know what y'all are gonna do, and he tells them the whole thing. Hopefully not to just bum them out because that's a super big drag that like you know we're gonna lose everything and we're going to go to war and blah, blah, blah. Um, that's really, really terrible. I think he says it in order to say this is going to happen. But at the end of that, God is going to take you back Be- because otherwise what might happen during all of those terrible things that are happening. Now that I can imagine 
as something we say as we're dying to, I see you, David, to the next generation, that I can imagine saying, look, things are going to suck. Really, really terrible things are going to happen to you because you are a human. And as long as you are a human being, terrible things are going to happen. Know that even so, at, on the other side of that, there is, then we have to figure out what you would say, what each of us would say, right? On the other side of that is what? Learning, growth, you know, what, change, opportunity, like hope, like what, you know, like whatever we want to say is on the other side. So, I mean, that part I can imagine because we know terrible things are going to happen to our children and our grandchildren or anyone else we love that we're leaving when we die. Terrible things always happen because we're humans. And we want to impart a message that says you can get through that. And on the other side of that, there is something else and something different. David? Oh, no, I was just going to, you know, I tell you, every single year I see something different in this. Big surprise there. Every year you see something different. Yes! (laughs) But um, you know what's interesting? If you look at Jewish tradition, we're asked to identify with those who left Egypt and those who were at Mount Sinai, we're not really asked to identify with those who crossed the Jordan. And um, it's almost like we had the the real um, lesson is with those guys who, you know, it's almost like we all have to go through our own desert. And, and rather, you could think of another tradition that this would be the victorious moment, right? We got here. That's what we should, that's who you want to identify. Instead, we identify, I, I hesitate to call them losers, but those who... Who those blew who, it. Who blew those it. who blew it. Yeah, the, I mean, and, that, and, and in, you know, in, in, the, in the Passover Seder, but also in the um, what preceded this, where the identification is with the guys who blew it. With the guys who, okay. I want to I I follow up on that. That's a great point, David, um, because Micha Goodman blew our minds a little at Hartman. He, like, blew our minds with a Torah study. Um, exactly to this point. Micha Goodman points out that we have holidays for all of these historical parts of our experience, right? Part of our tradition from creation, which is Rosh Hashanah. You know, we have creation. We have the Exodus from Egypt, which is, uh, what is it called? Passover, right? Pesach. <laughs> Thank you. So we have, right? We have all of these Sukkot, the schlepping through the desert. We have all of these celebrations about our historical arc, except which big event do we not have a holiday for? Oh yeah, entering the promised land. We do not have a victory holiday of we took over the land, we kicked the Canaanites' butts, and it's ours now. Woohoo! Like we don't have that holiday. We do not celebrate that. So he started there. He said, Torah does in our in our festival cycle does not include any kind of like um, commemoration of taking the land, of inheriting the land, of taking possession, of establishing right the, the nation of Israel. Then he shows us the book of Joshua, and he goes further a little past the book of Joshua, and he takes us into a conversation about texts that most of us don't look at, which Judith Ubik reminds us of all the time. <laughs> We don't look at kings. We don't look at, you know, the prophets. So we don't read the texts where we take the land, blah, 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 blah. And then what happens? Something goes on. The kingdom split. Now there's like tension between the kingdoms. Bob, uh, the, you know, the, the powers that be are coming in. The Assyria crushes the north. Right now everyone flees to the south and then people have to flee because of internal awfulness. People have to flee. Where do they go? You'll have to read it for yourself. But where do they go? I'll give you a little hint. They go south. Where do they go? Egypt. Egypt. And if you read further, Micha shows us and he points out everybody who's left in the land winds up going to Egypt. 
He said, we stop the story at the end of Deuteronomy. So what we do is we stop the story. We didn't have to. We could have kept going in terms of what we call Torah. We could have kept going and made it six or seven books. If we had done that, Torah would be, says Micha Goodman, a condemnation of the Jewish people. The entire story is the exit getting to Egypt, the exodus from Egypt, the promise, the right, the and then they get into the land, and what happens? We wind up back in Egypt. He said that is a complete narrative of condemnation of the Jewish people. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. And 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 we're still trying to figure it out, right? We we still can't get it together. We still can't do it. Not in Israel, not here, not in Sweden, not in Africa. We can't do it yet, right? But I love it, but it blew our minds once we looked at the corpus, not stopping at Deuteronomy, but continuing this to the, to the story of what actually happened in the land of Israel. When we look at that, we realize Torah is a story of a people who didn't make it. All right, wait, Richard wants to say something? Okay. I was also going to suggest there's the, 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 that, but the, maybe the appropriate spiritual posture is one of searching rather. All right, than, well, well, we'll talk about that. Um, just for a moment, I'd like to go back to the poem itself. Oh, fine. <laughs> because if if we if we go back and and think, who's the audience here? These are the people who have been born over the last forty years. So basically, it's a group of millennials. Of what? Millennials. millennials. Okay. okay. And, <laughs> and, and so what that means is Moses, Moses is clearly exhibiting foreknowledge. He's basically telling these millennials what is going to happen. You're going to have to get a job. And you don't get, get an award for showing up on right. time and to you your can't place live of with work. Your parents anymore Unbelievable. Like okay. So they're going, yeah, yeah, whatever, and then they go into the land. Moses dies on the mountain. I think we can look at, we're talking about how, well, was God being just? Was, you know, I mean, Moses did such a great job over the last 40 years. Why should he die? Why not look at it another way? God is giving Moses a great favor. He is protecting Moses from what might be sort of the ultimate sin of power, which is if he is allowed to enter the land, if he's allowed to enter the land, he is going to try to rip away from the millennials their own decisions on how their destiny is going to evolve. He is going to devolve into becoming an authoritarian, and God is protecting him from that. Is God protecting him or the people? No, he's protecting Moses. He can't protect the people because the people have their own decisions. But not if Moshe's still alive and with but them, not is what Moses, I hear you say. Yes, so right. protecting maybe the but people is, and Moses, but, that yeah, right, but, they need to have their own experience, right. not be under an authoritarian ruler. Okay, so so this is Richard's contribution to an interpretation. Love that, that um, God is actually, actually doing Moshe a favor, protecting Moshe from becoming an authoritarian ruler and allowing the millennials to have... Sorry, Lee. Um, are, Lee, are you a millennial? She is. Me? Okay. Yes, so, I am. Yeah. Okay, sorry. So uh, there are exceptions to every to every rule. Um, so um, so the so so protecting them from um, from Moshe robbing them of their experience, which that they need to screw up, they need to mess up, and they need to get kicked out, and they whatever. So to your to your point, David. A lot of people say this is one of the reasons Torah got backed up to Deuteronomy, to this moment where Moshe goes up to Mount Nebo, catches a view of the land, and dies. That that is the point of backing it up here and saying we're good, we're doing five books. We're not going to go on. We're going to we're going to do five books, and we're going to stop on this side of the Jordan. The message being, why back it up and stop here? We didn't have to. We accept that, that we have five books of Torah. Didn't have to be. When they decided what was going to be the canon, it easily could have been seven books, eight books, six books. 
Six makes more sense. Putting the book of Joshua here makes way more sense than five books, stopping here. But to David's point, a lot of the rabbis have discussed why do we stop at this point? Because the point is we never get in to the land. We never make it. We never get there because life is a journey. It is, and, and even when you do get there, guess what? The journey, Lech Lecha, starts again. As soon as we make it, as soon as I got the senior rabbi position, guess what? There's more work to do. Right? I said, but that's the goal. And then you think, oh, I've made it. And then it's like, mm-mm-mm. Right? On the other, and so this is, this is like a, a lot of the interpretation is, this is the message of stopping our annual reading at this moment is that it is about the journey, not about getting there. The journey never ends. But for Moses, that part of the story is complete. It's the proper time to end that story. The moral is there. What moral? Well, the moral of following the law and what happens when you break the law and what happens when you have a leader who is determined to have people follow and they don't. They have the right to go on and make their own decisions. Okay. And we're seeing that with our children, too, with our grandchildren. It's very hard for parents, I think, to say to their children, do it the way I want to. No, we've had our turn. Let them have their turn to make the mistake. Um, what's fascinating to me is that y'all seem to be defending allowing the Israelites of this generation to go into the land and screw up so badly that they are exiled, that there's destruction and exile. Really? I don't know. Is that good parenting? I don't know. I don't know. I feel really conflicted about that. I feel really conflicted about that. If I know, if I know for sure Eliana's going to do something that's going to wreak devastation in her life, do y'all really think I'm gonna let her do it? But you know. Moshe does know. Oh, I'm Moshe does know. He does know. If she starts heroin, really? What? I'm not dragging her to a clinic, really? What are you gonna do? I'm gonna drag her to a clinic. I'm just saying. I I'm curious that the response is this is a good thing. Moshe has to let them go. He has to let them screw up. He has to let them be exiled and everything get destroyed and their children be carried off. Yeah, what What makes you think? Uh uh-uh, uh No. What, what makes you think you can intervene? What What? Because I mean, that's my job. Well, your job is to think, but not. My to- job is to is to do what I can. Now I have to know. What I can and what I can't, but and I'm and I'm not I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm I'm finding it interesting that everyone's like, oh, they have to go and do their journey. And I think God has said what Moshe can and can't do, and I think God has said, you don't get to save them. You you may want to, but you don't get to. All right, can someone hit a, a button down, please? Um, yes, Turkey. Mehmet. Uh, yeah, but by the time the story was written, uh, it was post-exilic anyway. So it had already happened. And by the time the writers uh, summarized all of that, uh, there had already been a thousand or two two thousand years of Jewish experience around. And they were pretty realistic about how human beings behave they were realistic about that every single new human being or every single new Jew is going to try making a mistake by him him or herself. Say, I think say that Bible, last part again. I can't hear you exactly. Um, I think every single Jew is going to try to make a mistake uh, by her or himself anyway. They were realistic about their uh, about the human psyche. The, the biggest difference between the Jewish, um, um, uh, the Jewish mentality and uh, most of the others is that we're very realistic about what's going to happen to us. We're very what about what's going to happen to us? Realistic. Realistic. We, ours is not um, a school of victories. Ours is a school of failures. We're very realistic about how we're going to go through life. Great. When you said, so, uh-huh. when you said that we, we failed, when you said that 
we we entered Canaan and then we didn't make it and we went back to Egypt. Um, it 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 already summarized the Jewish experience, and it is it is a it is an ever continued uh, trial of life. It's 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 like a cycle that's going to repeat. It's all about how we live through the cycle, how we live through this experience in and make the most out of life and the society that we're Great. All right, thank you, Mehmet. So what you're reminding us is that this is written by people who experienced this history. This is not written by a fantasy author who's saying how it should be. And so you're reminding us, which I remind us all the time because it's important to remember, that Torah is written by real people who have had real experiences, who live in the real world, and Torah is about how the world should be but doesn't pretend that that's how it is. And it's written by a people who's very realistic about human nature and about human society, I would say human societies even. Um, and so what I hear you saying is it would be a fantasy to have them to end it with they live in the land and everything is happily ever after because that's not what happened. And you're reminding us that this is written by people who lived through the civil war, right? The civil coming apart of the North and the South. And then because of that weakening of both states, Assyria conquers the north, and then eventually Judah can't stand against right uh, uh, the powers of the time, and then Judah falls, and all those people wind up going to to Egypt. And, and, and so we have a return to Mesopotamia, right? The Babylonian exile. So where did uh, this is what I just want to say? This one thing about what Micha said. Micha Goodman reminded us where did where did Abraham leave from? Mesopotamia, one great empire. Where did the people of Israel leave from? Egypt, the other great empire of the time. People, we left both great empires to come to some teeny tiny little coastal nothing and got decimated and went back both to Mesopotamia and to Egypt. And he says, if you look at most stories of migration and you look at most stories of journeying, it's towards the big civilizations of the day. You come from the backwater and your journey is to the, to the, the big, whatever, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you. And, but our story is the opposite. We, we leave both places, come to it, come to Israel. And then he reminds us and the exile to Babylonia and the exile from Judah back to Egypt is the end of our story because that's what happened and that it would be a fantasy and would not serve the purpose of uh, of writing all of this and studying all it wouldn't serve the purpose to make something up that that isn't that isn't reality Lisa we talked before about control and I think a big big issue that we really don't spend enough time considering is what we do have control over and what we don't, you know, whether we're talking about AA, you know, give me the knowledge to know what I can control and what I can't control to really understanding in life that most things we don't have control of. And I think that's the heart of what's going on here. Except I'm going to say Torah, Torah, I wouldn't say that's the message of Torah. I would say Torah is saying you have a lot of control. You choose not to use it. You have control over whether or not you get exiled. You have total control over whether the nations of the world can conquer you or not. What do you have to do so that the nations of the world don't conquer you? Keep the covenant. Keep your pro- keep the deal. If you keep the deal and build a just society, this wouldn't happen. But y'all didn't do that. Just like daughter, just like your daughter, and like uh, there's a polemic here. That, that's that's the closer point. to your mouth, or they can't closer hear you. Closer to my mouth. Yes. Okay. There's a polemic here that we that he reads before he dies, and that is this is this is our organization. This is the way we look at the world, where wherever we are in the world, wherever we end up. Um, this is what we have to keep coming back to this book because we don't have a land, we don't have a, a place to hold on to, we don't fight wars and have victories. We're just a people with an idea and a book. And that's all we have. So we have to just keep repeating it generation to generation. And and that seems to me, that's why this is a beautiful passage. 
And, and really that is the end of Moses. That's all he has to say. And you screw up the next generation. Your daughter screws up. Let's hope not. Um, you put in whatever you can put in. And that's a lot of good stuff. And that sticks, I think. And it will stick with each generation. or They come back to it. So that's it. Yeah. Uh, that's what we got, right? That That's reality. That That's what we got. George, go ahead. Unmute, though, George. You have to unmute. I love the hand gestures, but it doesn't help if we can hear you. Yes, I talk with my hands. You <laughs> must be a Jew. Yes, our Italian one of the two. But, uh, I can't hear him. Oh, the, the, the question is, when did God destroy most of the people and Noah's Ark, uh, right, that was a punishment for all the evil. When did that occur in this history? When, you mean when in real history or when in Torah no, time? In Torah time. In Torah time, it happens in Genesis. So what happens before the the, the um, birth of Avraham? Avraham is ten generations from Noah. Okay, thank you. Uh huh. Thank you. Okay. Yes. No, I I just uh, wanted to second. I think what you said is so interesting that the real gift is what happened in the desert. It's not what happened in the. Do you know what I mean? The real gift of Judaism and the fact that that that's what you know that we are sort of a, a people of kind of intellectual property rather than real estate. <laughs> We're an people of intellectual property, not real estate. I think we should put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> no, but it, it, it's like that's, it's almost like you think that um, it, the real value is what is what occurred in the desert. Like that, that's our real asset. It's not what happened. So what, what the, so David is saying what, what, what really we're a people about is what happened in the desert, not what happened when we got into Israel. But if you think about it, what happened to the desert is the same thing that happened in Israel. They screwed it up and they died in the desert. And then they have a new generation who goes into the land and screws it up and gets exiled, right? So, Yes, but it's also like this is this is the story. This is this is this is life. This is reality. We screw it up, and of course, then the tradition. And let's not forget, the tradition doesn't stop here. We stop here. The tradition does not. Where does the tradition go? Why did I just move all the way to the right of the screen? Okay, so the it screws me up when everybody moves. So y'all don't come on and go off. Um, so the. The tradition doesn't stop with we screwed it all up. Where does the tradition go? The tradition goes to Mashiach. The tradition goes to the Messianic age. The tradition goes to we're going to screw it up until we get it right. And Mashiach, Mashiach is part of longing for the time when we finally figure it out and we don't have this pattern that we don't keep having a generation that gets the instructions and doesn't follow them and gets schmeist. The whole idea of Mashiach is that there, that, that, that history is cyclical. Absolutely. We keep going through the same stuff, but that's paganism that you just go through the same stuff over and over and over. And I'm not being critical. I'm just saying that is paganism, by the way. All of the rituals are to keep the cycle going. You, you keep doing all the rituals so that the spring happens and things come to fruition and then you have the harvest and that, right? So everything is about keeping the circle going. Judaism is one of the first in the world to have a tradition that breaks the pagan mindset of its relation to the cosmos and says, no, our relationship to the deity, our rituals that impact the deity are not about keeping everything going. It's about keeping everything going, of course, but it's a spiral. We go through everything, but it's a spiral towards redemptive, salvific history. That is a radical revolution in the pagan world. That is the, that is the revolution the Israelites introduce through monotheism. It is not that there is one God. Mono, the revolution of monotheism is not a revolution of numbers. 
It, that has, that is not the point. The revolution of Israelite monotheism to the universe, to the world, to human societies is the idea that our relationship to the divine, drawing the divine into this world through us and our actions is about, yes, keeping the crops growing and keeping the blessings flowing and all of that with an idea of salvific history that we will make progress towards the messianic age. That's the end of our story. Mashiach, the day of judgment. We rise from the dead. We overcome death. Yes, the Christians got it from us. We overcome death. We are bodily resurrected. And ta-da, it is Eden on earth. We don't talk about that. But that's where the tradition goes. And that's the longing and the yearning and the energy and the motivation to keep going. It isn't the next generation is going to screw it all up because that's reality. That's human life. It's true right now. But the goal is to work towards Mashiach. And for us as Reconstructionists, Mordechai Kaplan said, salvation, I said it at the high holidays, I'll say it again, salvation for Mordechai Kaplan was every human being being able to fulfill their own potential. When that happens, when every human being is given what they need to fulfill their own potential, we will create the messianic age. We don't need a Messiah to come from outside. That is, you know, supernatural history that Reconstructionism rejected from the foundation. That's why we broke off from the conservative movement because we reject the supernatural God and say instead, well, the founders, I don't want to speak for anybody here, but, but the founders of Reconstructionism don't, don't have a supernatural God. They have a transnatural God within nature, beyond nature. We draw on that to ourselves, create the messianic age. All right, let me take a breath uh, so I can focus on what's coming next. That was so beautiful, <laughs> Rabbi. You know, I, Thank you, Elena. I, I want to fascinating. add a footnote. A footnote, okay. That journey goes through this morning, this room, and each next breath we take. Thank you, Mark. So that journey goes through this morning, this day, this Torah study, and through every breath that we take. Each next breath is an opportunity for us, if I can put a footnote to the footnote, um, that our uh, every breath is an opportunity to move us closer to contributing to bringing about salvation, to bringing about the Messianic Age. Um, I have to personalize. Um, I talked last week about faith. <coughs> I talked about, I used the term inner strength. Um, I so much would like to believe in a spiral rather than a cycle. Um, I find it very hard. That's all. Uh, so what I'm going to say in response is, as a woman, mm-hmm. I got to say, as a lesbian, as a woman, things are way better now than had I been born uh, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago, or somewhere else in the world right now. So I... I have to say that I do see and believe in a spiral. I have to, or I can't get up in the morning or raise children or bring them into this world. I do believe in a spiral. It's slow. And that means if you're talking about a circle, you're talking about going back and then coming out and then going back and then coming out. But, but each back hopefully is not as right is not as back as what it was before. But if I didn't believe that there has been progress, that the arc of justice, however long it is, bends towards justice, if, if or whatever it is, whatever that beautiful saying of King is, Martin Luther King. Um, if I didn't believe that, it, I, I wouldn't get up in the morning. But I, I have to say, as a woman in particular, that I can read, that I am le- the leader of a community, would not have happened in previous times in history. I'm going to add a second footnote. Uh, and it's all about science, about medicine, about how the fact we can survive medically and... It's not all science. about science. It's about our minds engaging in the positive work. That's how science gets discovered. Science has always been here. 
we human beings now have, have been able to make discoveries and contributions to our own longevity and health and well-being because the intention is there and the resources are put behind that intention. The problem is, of course, we don't make that decision often enough to put our resources behind the things that are going to actually help humanity flourish. Isn't that the whole Yom Kippur ritual, too, of looking at ourselves in order to make that progress? To spiral out. Of course, of course. Okay, so I, I had all this commentary prepared because I thought, wow, we're, we'll read Hazinu, we'll read, Mo- and then we're going to get to Moshe's death and all this amazing commentary on Moshe's death, but that's not happening. Really, I, know, so I, I know, I know, that's what I'm saying. We're, honey, I, I, I'm totally with you. Like, it's, we have two minutes left. I'm just saying. So we're not doing this, obviously. I brought it for you uh, who are here, so I want you to take it and look over it. It's, it's a wonderful discussion of the Midrashim about Moshe and his death and approaching his death, uh, David Russo. Um, it will be posted with the podcast, uh, but because you brought up Moshe accepting his death, and I wanted to show you the process to that. And he does not accept his death in the Midrashim until the very, very, very end <laughs> And it's a beautiful end that he finally gets to acceptance and forgives the people, according to the Midrash, right? Once he accepts his death, he forgives the people. So um, I want to, I want you to make sure to look at it, David, because it goes exactly to, to the conversation uh, that we had last week. Linda? Oh, okay. Go ahead. You were going to speak. I we understand. We need another paper here. But go ahead and speak. Oh. We're not doing this. No, oh, I know that. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you one, but just say what you were going to say. Well, what I was going to say before all this uh, conversation that started with footnotes and so forth, I mean, I've always th- thought of a lot of different things as a journey, and it's the journey that's the important part of it all, to me anyway. I mean, even when I used to take photographs with film, and not know what it is until I got it developed. And I'd, and, and they, some would be terrible. And I say, well, I have to go back, back to that place and take more photos. So the, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. Lovely. So, uh, that it's really about the journey, the thoughts, you know. Okay. Love that. Um, and that's, that's the decision the Jewish people made. That is clearly the decision the Jewish people made by canonizing the five books and not six, the five books and not eight. They made a decision. It's going to stop at the end of the people's journey. Uh, you know, and then we know they're going to journey on, but like it's going to stop. This is going to stop uh, right here. And we won't have a holiday um, about taking possession of the land, going into the land. Our, our last holiday is Sukkot. Um, of the biblical year that begins with the Exodus. Our last holiday is this harvest festival of Sukkot, where all the stuff from Yom Kippur is supposed to be given the opportunity to enter the way the rain and the dew um, is given the opportunity. Uh, the rabbis liken Sukkot to um, opening the cracks in the dry dirt, right? The land of Israel has cracks and it's really dry from the summer. Um, and so Yom Kippur is all about, about allowing cracks to happen and it's only when the cracks happen in that dry crust that the dew and the rain can go in and result in right harvest uh, and growth. So, so may it be for us. So may we, this Sukkot, allow all of that amazing um, dew and rain and good stuff from uh, the high holidays to, to enter so that we might contribute to uh, our own growth and the growth of salvific human history. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.